Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. With me, as always, is a man who truly lives the fuck the police lifestyle. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, you know, like uh, like how that is exhibited in this film, my uh, yeah. my FTP lifestyle is mostly uh, denying that any crime happened. <laughs> like, well, basically, borderline denying that, like. Nothing that, Nothing ever happens. Nothing has ever happened. I, I don't know anything about anything you're talking about. This man is insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I like how, yeah, the only the only real risk associated is he's going to accidentally get that guy committed. Committed. Right, right, right. Oh, I love, I love the old man. He's so good. Yeah, the old man's great. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can uh, help keep us going and get some bonus content. Got to say bonus content like you're selling something. Uh, yeah, smash the like button and subscribe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ring that bell. God, I hate YouTube so much. <laughs> and yet, it exists. Uh, anyway, like I said... Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, dollar a month gets you access to a, uh, a history of bonus episodes. We do a non-Criterion film over there every month except for December. December we do the uh, non-Criterion holiday special that, that goes out to everybody on the main podcast. But, uh, but uh, January through November you get uh, access to a bonus episode. You get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. I put together a list based on... Uh, movies we've watched recently based on things in the news based on the time of year it is or whatever whim i have or if someone recently died <laughs> what what demon takes possession of whatever you demon takes possession or uh or if uh if our supporters suggest one I'll, I'll often take that list and if they suggest a list they'll also often get invited to be on the episode uh which is fun we have a lot more guests over there and it's uh yeah it's it, it's good times whenever there's a guest. It's yeah, good times no, when there's not really a guest, fun. I think. But but it's good times when there's a guest. <clears throat> but that's all a dollar a month. We've watched uh, we've watched a lot of different movies over there. Things like uh, Louis Malle's God's Country off of a list that was just Malle documentaries that are in the Eclipse collection good, but not yeah. in the Criterion collection. We watched uh, the Will Ferrell movie Kicking and Screaming off a list that was movies that share titles with Criterion yeah. Collection films. <laughs> movies that will hurt. <laughs> and it will is cause a movie you that deep internal pain. A movie that did in fact hurt, yes. Uh, but yeah, just uh, just a wide variety of films over there. And that's all for just a dollar a month. You get that bonus content. Can't beat that. No, you can't. You can't beat that with a with a big stick. For a little extra, uh, for just, you know, supporters who, who feel like giving us a little extra money. Uh, we reward them by thanking them on air. So our, our $5 supporters, uh, we like to thank. And there's only one right now. So thanks to Stephen Goldmeyer, a good yes, friend thank you. who is giving us $5. Thank you so much. Uh, but there's only one $5 supporter because what we offer at $10 and above, uh, a lot of people 
really have connected with, and I really enjoy doing it, so I'm glad they've connected with it. At $10 and above, that support level, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up I've on been a postcard. Told, but I don't believe it. Well, pretty, pretty often. And I get that printed <laughs> up on a postcard and write a little personalized note, mail that off to you once a month. Uh, so that's real fun. Uh, Pat's made some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, some also some pretty scary stuff that I don't like to think about. Uh, but I I want you to live in fear of the postcards. That's yeah. what I, I want you to. I wanted to feel like you've signed up for a very poor imitation of the experience you would experience in a bad horror movie, <laughs> or even a good horror movie. Maybe like I want you to like this thing that comes in the mail. It both excites me and terrifies me. Yeah, at times they're not always terrifying. Uh, if you want to get a feel for what the postcards are like, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can see most of the past postcards. Uh, most of them because one Toho Corporation decided to tell us to take down. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, we were planning to fight it, but Redbubble decided to acquiesce yeah. before I we had an opportunity. I don't recognize Toho Corporation's sovereignty in these matters. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, they don't have a semicolon in their name, so they're not sovereign. <laughs> right, right. Um, they didn't sign over a postage stamp or in yeah. red. I mean, right. what are they doing? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but also, they go up on a little bit of delay so that our supporters can enjoy them and enjoy the new ones before uh, before they go up. So if you want to check out, get a feel for uh, for what that will get you, or bypass postcards, because you can do that at redbubble.com. Uh like I said, head over there, yeah, search I mean, for Lost in Criteria. I'm very glad that exists because I, I, more than anything, just like that there's some place to like keep them yeah. as a, as a no, repository. They're, they're wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Somebody I really, can go buy them and like, I don't know, send it to a loved one. Happy right. birthday, Grandma. Here's a, here's a terrifying nightmare picture. <laughs> here's, here's, a, here's a neon upside down Jesus. Enjoy. Yeah. No, it's, that's one of my favorites. Um <laughs> We also like to thank our $10 and above supporters on air. So thank you so much to Jason Westhaver, to Patrick Yako, Adam Speckerman, Michael McGrath, and Christopher Otto for your support yes, at that thank level. Thank you very much. Most of you have been doing it for uh, over a year a at this point. Long time. And yeah. uh, I think you. everybody really there is over it. a year. And we do really, really appreciate it. And yeah, yeah. Hope your lives are good. Hope you're uh, feeling rewarded for giving us that money because you should karmically. Yeah, I mean, but also physically because we send you those postcards. It's it's the reward. I mean, you so, get them in the mail. I yeah. mean, and maybe they scare you. Maybe. Anyway, again, maybe one is, of them will the ring you or something. I don't. I make no promises, one way or another, on whether or not Pat's postcards will the ring you. Uh, <laughs> and the Sarah Michelle Keller, Geller version of the ring you too. It's not even going to be oh, the good no. one. Oh no. Uh, anyway, if you wanna if you wanna roll those dice and and risk that, uh, head over to patreoncom criterion. <laughs> this week we're talking about an Akira Kurosawa film, uh, unlike any we've ever seen before. I think <laughs> pretty. pretty uh, much. I mean, it, it its closest <laughs> friend would be something like um, what's the name of it? Now I forget huh. the name. Of, never mind. Are uh, you think Are you thinking of the lower depths? The, uh, uh yeah, the Lord Depths, but the Lord Depths has much more of a like, like through line. Like they all do have a like a much clearer through line plot line. Right. But I was just thinking like something like is it called? What is it called? Iku? Is that what? no? It's not Iku. It's I forget. I always forget the Ikaru? name of that movie. 
Yeah, Ikuru. Yeah. Ikuru? Yeah. Uh, I always forget the, the name of that movie. I always, in my head, I always have like, Ikuru is like the closest I would like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also in color uh, and, and, well, yeah. Vibrantly in color in, in much the way that uh, Ron would be moving forward and, and uh, some other work. Um, this is his first color film. Came out in 1970. It is Dodeskaden. Uh, We'll get into what that title means in a little bit, but it's an onomatopoeia, uh, a onomatopoeia created by the author that the, the work is based off of. Right. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's an interesting progency for the film. Uh, so uh, Kursala made Redbeard. It took him two years. We talked about Redbeard many years ago. Uh it is a historical film. Uh, it stars um, Mifune, and on set, somehow Kurosawa got it in his head that Mifune was undermining him. Uh-huh. And it led to a blow-up, and they never worked together again. Right. So this is, five years later, the first film that Kurosawa made after that. But also, in the meantime, through the late 60s, Kurosawa did two years of script and pre-production work for Fox Studios' Tora Tora Tora, the film on the attack on Pearl Harbor. Right. Yes. Two weeks into filming, he was fired or quit or they called him crazy and something, something happened. Um, right. And he was replaced. Uh, it's a little unclear as to what exactly went down. Uh, also, 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 <laughs> this is a time where the Japanese film industry was in a decline. Television was coming to prominence. Uh, so Kurosawa kind of lost a career. <laughs> he was, he was floating. Right, right. Um, he he lost his longtime collaborator. Um, he had a longtime composer that Redbeard was the last time they worked together as well. Um, and the entire Japanese film industry looked like it was maybe about to tank. And his one outreach to America did not work out at all. Right. So he and uh, Kisuke Kinoshita... And yeah. Masaki Kobayashi and Konichikawa all got together and created uh, the Club the of the Horsemen. Four Knights or the Four Horsemen of the of the Japanese film apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's how. I mean, here's what I'll say. Uh, it w- you know it is debatable in my mind. Where I think that must be an intentional reference. Yeah. Um, I can't guarantee that to be true. Uh, well, what is like, what is the literal translation of? It would be four riders club. The four riders club. Okay, like yeah, as in ride, as in like ride a horse. Right, right, right. Uh, because it like, normally gets he, translated yeah. four knights, but if right, it's actually riders, I, no, that's a pretty right, explicit I, reference. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not like my. I would have to go deeper. I would have to get out like the dictionary to find out if like yeah. that is a. Because keep in mind, we don't like Japanese doesn't have 
nights. Right, right. Like that, 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 you know, things are going to, f- yeah, I mean, it's not cavalry. It could be like, it, it's part of the word for cavalry. It's not the word for cavalry, but it's part of the word for cavalry. Yeah. It's uh, very uh, unclear. I think it is probably a purposeful reference, and I think right. it gets translated four nights because somebody's aggressively trying to avoid that reference. Right. It seems like it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, horsemen. Yeah. No, okay. Now, I have, I've gone to the, the proper dictionary. Yeah. And yes, because if you were going to count horsemen, you would say one of that would be one horseman. Okay. Yeah. In no. the real dictionary. So, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, our four horsemen are Kurosawa. Yeah, the Four Horsemen Club. Kobayashi, who directed Harikari, who, which we've seen. Uh, Ichikawa, who of course we saw the Burmese harp and uh, uh, right his his phenomenal uh, uh, Tokyo uh, Olympiad, <laughs> which is very yep. fun. And Kinoshita did Twenty Four Eyes, which we watched relatively recently. Um, all phenomenal yeah. directors. Best, yeah, best all in the probably who were like looking at losing at a job, basically. Yeah. Like, we're all like, uh, probably, so, like, uh-oh. so they get all together and you know, calling themselves the four horsemen, it's pretty clear that this is you know, it's a publicity thing, uh, in a manner, but also given I think they were also ready to murder the, the Japanese film industry. Right. I think that was really but, part of the explicit, like, we're going to murder the entertainment industry. But I think, I think kind of part of it in a lot with, particularly with what was going on in Kurosawa's life at the time, it seems kind of like Kurosawa's three best friends got together and were like, hey. I, I think that's also, I think they to, also were we like. We need to cheer him up. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely a possibility that part of it is like, I would agree that it, it may be like, we're like, we're going to take him out drinking and before you know it, we've accidentally made this <laughs> right, club. Right, right. So, so they financed Tedeschidon. And within well, Japan... Well, apparently he mostly financed it by mortgaging his house. Yes, yes. Which is like... Which is just always a classic uh, desperate director bad, go-to. Yeah, bad move. Um, so anyway, uh, within Japan, it was very poorly perce- received. Uh, it did yes. actually get nominated for an Oscar the year it came out. Um, but within Japan, it was poorly... Received. Yeah, I mean, its critical reception wasn't even that great inside yeah. of Japan. Like, yeah, critically, I've got my experience. My what I was reading is mostly middling, not like yeah, awful or anything. But but also like not beloved either. Certainly not red beard levels internationally or within no, no. <laughs> within the country. Uh, anyway, all of that precipitated Kurosawa attempting suicide uh, in I believe seventy one, just after this movie came out, um, which fortunately failed and he went on to make amazing masterpieces of work again um not that this isn't i like this movie i really do uh yeah no i mean i i think it is i think keep in mind even certainly audience perception and critical reception also though falls into like they're all contextual to the time right in the place right a very good movie produced and released at the wrong time Will still, yeah, fail in all can still fail in all regards. Yeah, like we want we want desperately to believe, for example, that critics are somehow detached from that. They're not. But they like, they, but they're not. Like, you know, 
and we they they will absolutely evaluate you based right. on like we've, how they feel that day and how the world is working at the time. We've and like talked, what's popular and what's not popular. We've talked plenty about uh, particularly American critics' interpretations of various Criterion films over the years to right, right. to talk about that. Uh, interestingly, before we get into the movie, there is one other thing. Uh, the Four Horsemen did did break up after this movie and. Right. Uh, and never well, make a movie make again. Movie. Uh, <laughs> like it seems like they bailed when as soon because they were supposed to apparently do it as like a collaborative work. I see. And they yeah. Fell out. Well, or whatever. in any case, there is there is technically, I suppose, one other Four Horsemen film that did eventually get made. Kanichikawa's 2000 film Alley Cat, uh, Dora Haita. Uh, it was planned and written by the group but uh didn't get made um when it was written in 69 um and they decided to make Didescadon first and it did so poorly that they did not move forward with this so Ichikawa waited till all three of the others died <laughs> and then made this movie and I don't know well that's uh, but yeah, it's so weird because, like... I don't know if it was they, because... Like, Kurosawa didn't even wait. Kurosawa right. was like, oh, you guys don't want to make this? Well, I'm still making it. Right. Like... Yeah, I and I don't know if that was out of tribute to the three of them after they had passed or if it, if it was some sort of taunting where whoever was the last one alive had to make the movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it's, there's possibilities. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, they're like, it's got this, they've got this, like, cocktail napkin written in blood somewhere. They're like, wh- whoever makes it out of this last has to make this movie. You're the pale horse. Sorry. Uh, but, yeah, so there was, uh, there was a lot of struggle for production here. Um, he, did, uh, he did do a little television work just after this, a documentary on racehorses called Song of the Horse. Um, which actually the the voiceover narration of that is a fictional man and child played by the same people who play the ba- the beggar and the kid in this movie um but uh you know he didn't have he didn't have many of his big players for this one though right. he he still had some of his cadre there are certainly people in this movie who were in other films uh, Kamatari Fujiwara and uh, Sushi Watanabe. Uh, they had had small parts in earlier films. Uh, Kuni Tanaka was in Sanjuro in The Bad Sleepwell. Yoshitaka Zushi uh, had just been in Redbeard, um, and he's the guy who plays uh, Rodachan, the the boy with the uh, with the onomatopoeia right. in this movie. Um, so yeah, he. He was working with people he'd worked bef- with before, but it wasn't his normal cadre, right? He's got this whole right. this whole rogues gallery of actors that he's really not using. Um, and, you know, I can definitely understand psychologically where Kurosawa was here and why, why this precipitated a suicide attempt. It is sad that that happened, but certainly, as I said, happy that it failed and he... Uh, went on to make bigger and better things. Um, but yeah, this is it's a really weird movie to the rest of his catalog. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 
pretty episodic. I think, yeah. Well, not even episodic. It's like little vignettes about <laughs> about mean, the people. Yeah, it borders. It it's borders on being uh, slackers esque, and it's sort of like right, meandering right. through this this little like shanty town. Yeah. Like the interesting thing, I think, is I I think that probably what we see here is a lot of the influence of the other uh, directors who were involved at least in the conception of the project. Yeah. Uh, in the sense that like. It, it we don't we I I don't know I don't know in actual like practical absolute terms how often Kurosawa actually collaborated to that extent, uh, but like certainly as far as what we have watched, we have very rarely watched anything that was not a essentially a whole cloth, right? Kurosawa like I mean like he doesn't he doesn't necessarily write them all, but like he's certainly the sole director who makes. Right. 100% of the sort of practical decisions about the movie. And even though it seems like they weren't involved in the actual like filming of the movie in any way, they still certainly had a hand in the sort of creation of what kind of movie it would be and like how it would be would sort of be represented. Uh, I think that's fair. It's also probably something to do with the source material because it does seem like that tracks with the source material pretty closely. Like I I don't I haven't found anything that actually said anywhere exactly how much it tracks with the source material but the source material is like these sort of right the everyday lives of of people in in suffering basically yeah not having not having not read the shigeru yamamoto book that's based off of we can't speak directly to that but it seems no to be. no i i mean i read the 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 wikipedia page for it basically and <laughs> and a couple other things that i found really quickly this afternoon um i mean it's still still a well-known book um like it is uh you know it it, it cl- i mean at least the wikipedia page claims it is still a long is a sort of long-term bestseller type of book where okay. people still buy it interesting um it's it's wikipedia page even in japanese is just a just a monstrosity it's tiny as hell it's got like maybe 150 words on the entire wikipedia page it's basically a stub but okay. the things it says imply that it is that it is a book that still sells Okay. Um, it maybe not, and it had a stage play adaptation in the two thousands. I don't know. I mean, I think almost anything could have a stage play adaptation, but that so it doesn't really mean anything. But uh, yeah, but we can get the audiobook on Audible. Oh, there you go. Let's go you get listen it. Listen to it. Um, listen to it on your way to work, Pat. Yeah, right. Um, Crash my car because I'm trying to concentrate on what the person <laughs> in, the, in the audiobook is saying. Got my dictionary out next to me. Um, but like, um. All, all I mean to say is that, like, everything I've read about the book, because I did go up and look at synopses and stuff, like, somehow this is one of those situations where, like, freaking Amazon had a better synopsis of the book than Wikipedia, Wikipedia did. <laughs> Interesting. And I went and read it, and it sounds like, I don't know what, I don't know what percentage of the book is actually in the movie, but I will say that it does seem that stylistically it seems to match, at least in this sort of, like, small stories about these different people uh, and sort of what, what, the common factors that unite them, uh, not necessarily as a unified community, but like the sort of through line between them all. Right. Uh, They're all living in this slum shanty town built in the dump. Um, some of them have seemingly more permanent housing than others, but yeah, at least. I mean, they're all. I mean, yeah, it's all very much a like permanent is very relative there. Like, right, 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 um, right. You know, 
the movie definitely goes out of its way to to really paint a very clear picture of their circumstances. Yeah. Um, from beginning to end. Right. And we've talked um, we've talked about Kurosawa films before, like High and Low, and like the Lower Depths, where mm-mm. he is he is interested in the plight of the poor in Japan, particularly uh, those who have been left behind by the uh, the economic gains of post-war right. Japan. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to have, you know, the lower depths was also a period piece. Um, so this one's, more, you know, more contemporarily set. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. Well, yeah. I mean, high and low is, I forget what year high and low is supposed to be set in. Um, well, it's, it's, it's contemporary. Air conditioner. Right. Exi- yeah. It's right. contemporary. This one is specifically, I was actually going to bring this up cause I was like curious about it. And the author of the book, at least, very explicitly says that this book is does not exist in a time or a place. Yeah. Uh, I have the quote that I sort of roughly translated. But basically he says, like, even though this is a story that is ostensibly from the past, uh, because it's he wrote, you know, the book was written in, oh, crap, 1960-something. Uh, yeah. Uh, 1962. Um, it would represent a time prior to that uh probably fairly early post-war would be my guess uh uh you know maybe the 50s uh he says that even though it was written like this is actually in a weird quote on amazon which is really wild to me Uh, i guess maybe the author had been getting a lot of questions about when does this story take place kind of thing okay it, it seems to be somewhat divorced from like time markers uh but he'd be like even though this is from the past uh, th- there he. I really want you to understand that there are people living around you, the reader, who are going through this kind of despair and pain and sadness. And I would like you to pay attention to the fact that there is no time or sort of space boundaries uh, here in this story. There's right. no. It has no place and it has no time. Because and that this this town is is exists to show the similarity between all these people and their pain and all their experiences, uh, despite them all being different ages and from and kind of maybe happening. I'm guessing that the book maybe has people from different places in it that aren't all from whatever mythical town this is. Oh, and like there's different social statuses even within that sort of shanty town. So it's it, it's really interesting because I feel like the author's description really tracks with how we would understand Kurosawa and his sort of viewpoint on this kind of thing. Right. Um and so I I thought it was it was a really interesting quote if it is a quote cuz right. <laughs> right the way it, the on way a format. single edition of of the of a single edition that was on Amazon. Yeah. It's like a quote that's on there but like nonetheless it does seem to track with the movie we watched and also because i i too started to wonder while i was watching i was like when does this take place this is like 50s ish but is it like and and yeah of course the author's like well no it takes place whenever it takes place because got news for you people's lives are still terrible and within it the only thing that that really dates the movie is the fact that the beggar and his son lived in a burned-out Citron 2BC 
which went into production in 48. So I guess we've got well, right. We've got yeah, a I little mean, time yeah. frame to, to I gauge mean, we it get there. Other stuff. But, I mean, like you know, especially in the movie, like some of their clothing choice of some of the characters right. very clearly pushes it to be in the 60s. Right, right, right. Uh, right. Like just clothes that wouldn't have even exist in the 1950s. That that um, that yellow sweater the one wife is wearing is uh, where like <laughs> the wildest sweater I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. I feel like I don't know what Kurosawa was like. Like yes, there are spirals on her breast. <laughs> right, one of it spiraled into her breast. It's very. It's a very weird, a very weird sweater. I I feel like Kurosawa was like, well, if I'm doing color, motherfucker, I'm doing color. Right, right. Watch out, <laughs> and he does it, man. Like yeah. all the so, scenes with the, the with the kid and his dad when he's car. getting sick, particularly. Oh but, my god! But also, Chris, I was like, "What colors can we make?" Yeah, the uh, yeah the the fantasy sequence when the dad's describing the house being built. Mm-hmm. It is so vibrant and so beautiful, and so weirdly artificial too for. For oh, yeah. a Kurosawa, you know, at least up to this point. Well, because it's a fantasy, right? Like right. it's it is a fantasy, and like he's he's telling he's so visually like clearly visually communicating with you that this is a fantasy, that like it feels like some sort of weird like sort of Shangri La esque place. Right. It's like it's up on a hill, and there's like the light is beaming through the windows. Yeah. It's yeah, very intense. No, it's 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 super interesting the artificiality in this movie. Uh, because obviously, you know, moving forward, Kurosawa could u- would use like those cyclorama backdrops and right, and right. big big painted stuff and the and this huge vibrant colors. But this is his first color movie, and it's the first one. Like Redbeard, Redbeard was a two year production in part because they built an entire town, uh, right? And here, well, here it's kind of conflicting, but it seems like they maybe filmed on location in an actual dump. Yeah, it seems like they filmed on a dump. Yeah, yeah. They, they did. Um, not all, Obviously, not all the scenes take place on the dump. Like, those scenes where the kid is dying are very clear, clearly a soundstage. Right, right, right. Because the, ba- the backdrop is so clearly a, a paint, yeah. like a, and a, anything, a sky painting and stuff. Anything interior is, is right. no doubt not. In well, one yeah, of the of buildings course, yeah, they yeah. built there, um, I would say that mo- it seems like about ninety percent of the actual exterior shots, though, are like yeah, just location shots outside, right? You know, real um, dump, yeah, which is real interesting to Kurosawa too, right? You know, because mm-hmm. it's just <laughs> and where where the artificiality sort of bumps into the dump, I find very interesting because. You know, it's it's also, you know, the entire edifice of consumerism dies in the dump, right? Everything, everything right. in the dump is artificial. So the fact that there's this artificiality right. on top of on top of it being in the dump is very interesting to me too. Uh, just you know, well, it's it's yeah, a further it's commentary on it. It's fascinating because it is all artificial. But it's also like hyper organic in it, like in the sense that like the the set dressing and everything is done very very well. So like everything feels like it was built from things in the dump, like in a really right. well managed way. Like the 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 guy who does the silver work is the only person who appears to have a house that wasn't built from dump materials. Right. The old man who does the silver work, as He's if like, he, as if he's just existed there. 
for a hundred years. Like, yeah, and they it's built a, yeah, the dump I mean, around him. A, he's right? super enigmatic. He's meant to be. <clears throat> he's very clearly meant to be like some sort of almost spirit that exists in the dump. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you said, something like, between a mayor and a protective, thing. a protective <laughs> ghost. Yeah, um, and it does kind of feel like, oh yeah, I was like the spirit of the place that the dump was, and then you built the fucking dump here, and I'm still here. Right. Something. It, it has a very it, the 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 old older man who is the silversmith does have a very enigmatic sort of Japanese spirit sort of feel right, right. to him. Like everything he tries works and everything he does is intended to help the people around him. Right. Even when it's very weird that it works, like the conversation when the when the police officer brings the, the thief back to him and he's just like, this guy never robbed me. It's like, well, he confessed to robbing you. And then the thief himself know. says, hey, no, you remember what happens and tells it says exactly what happens. And the old man says, it's like, well, no, that, no, no. not ringing any bells. <laughs> it's like, oh, like yeah. is he senile? Yeah. Well, could a senile man do this? <laughs> and then shows off yeah, the right. silversmithery. It's very good. It's all very good. And then is uh, you know the conversation with the other old man who's who's suicidal, mm-hmm. um, who comes to him for for help uh, dying, and uh, and the old man gives him the silversmith gives him a, a, a poison pill. He says that will take an hour, and then in that hour, this man is convinced that he doesn't want to die, and is freaking out and the yeah. silversmith just says oh yeah no i gave you a digestive <laughs> it's uh yeah <laughs> you're fine um but yeah no that's a very interesting conversation to to the artificiality and the themes of the movie too about uh life living on in your dreams right um and you know a lot of the artificiality here is just the the life people are making for themselves um right right as they've been left behind and of course you know very much uh our main our main boy well to call him a boy he's not i mean he starts and ends the movie is about the most he he is yeah one of the through lines he's not a direct like constant through line but he does sort of tour but yeah the dump enough that you right. see him Roku-chan, once roku chan is uh, he's a he's a bookend to the movie um we open with him we close with him but it's very much about he is he is the most prominent of the uh figures in the movie who are imagining a better world for themselves that they cannot grasp right right i mean what i would say is that i guess he's special in the sense that he he is existing in that world that he has created right he inhabits it entirely it it is not imaginary like the you know even even like with the father it's an escape right it's a it's right. a place to go to get away whereas uh Rokuchan is 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 there well like, if- the sounds are even real when he right. moves his hands the sounds happen right 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 and if, you know there's it can get fraught if we go too far down this route, oh, yeah, of course, of course but... because Rokuchan is clearly developmentally disabled in some way. Um, I read him as autistic, but making 
a diagnosis. I mean, the, book, of, the movie is not clear. The movie is nothing not clear. I've ever, nothing I've read has said definitively. Yeah. You know. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And you know, Kurosawa may may have not even had the the author of the book may not have the words to describe what <clears throat> what exactly is going on with this person. Um, and even, you know, even if they did within the narrative, his mother almost certainly doesn't because she's almost never certainly gotten any sort of actual diagnosis for him. Right. Because that would well, require no, going and, and to a doctor. Even, right. Certainly has no access to anything that would even like, I mean, he's not even in school. Right. Uh, which tells you a lot. I mean, in general, uh, you know, that's, that's a very clear indicator of a lot of what's going on. Like, He's right. not in school. He's very clearly of school age. Right. Um, we have we have many children in this movie who are of school age and who are not in school, which is which is definitely we don't know if the other guy, the hairbrush maker's children, are in school or not because right. we don't necessarily see them during the day. Well, Ryu's uh, the oldest son there in their in their even went to school in their conversation about whether or not Ryu is his dad, is their dad. He suggests right. that other children have been right, which we so, would think means he went to school probably. But like, yeah. it it just does tell you a lot because like, primary school education being mandatory is not a was not a, is not a new thing in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, and would certainly have been fully mandatory in whatever time this is taking place in uh and so if if children like it just tells you exactly how far these children have fallen through the cracks of society like how deeply that like they like they're not even no one's trying to be to make them in school you know what i mean it it just says a lot um like you know (laughs) To to deal with the what the what is clearly the saddest part of the movie, uh, in the in the child uh, who passes away, um, this is clearly a child that maybe society doesn't even know exists. Basically, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, and and so to that end, the you know it makes the whole thing the the through line on there is extremely tragic, right? Because. This is a child that society basically doesn't know exists. Right. Who lives a life that is that is in his dad's fantasy world, essentially. Right. And dies, and basically the only acknowledgement of his death will be the grave dug by his dad. Right. With the help of the old man. I mean, it, prob- it will not have probably... It will have no gravestone on it. No. Uh, it's really just very uh it's very sad. It's very right. and it's it is the most upsetting part of this movie by a very wide margin. I mean it's also a grave inside an open air dump. It's not a grave. Well, I mean there's it's, other gravestones around it. Are um, they do they have a little Yeah, I, I, went I guess and I didn't the scene when we were yeah. talking about it. There's a bunch of other gravestones. I'm guessing that this small community has some sort of right bear, has has designated area to area to bury yeah. people there they are, are obviously like five other headstones around there there is nothing within the narrative of the film that suggests that they are under threat of being bulldozed at any point so no they they seem to be in a in a portion of the dump where they are left to their own devices in whatever yeah, it, that it means. more seems like they're basically surrounded by it than they are right. like 
actually in it. In, like, you know what I mean? They are in it, but right. they're like not necessarily on top of it. The closest would be uh, Rukchan's house appears to be actually on top of the dump. Right. Whereas everybody else appears to be in a clearing somewhere in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, but, but like, his train station appears to be like it was just a big pile of garbage and he pushed enough of it up to create yeah, those hills of garbage it's around very, it and made I that mean, clearing himself is yeah it is it is it. fascinating because the picture painted in the movie is very that is a, a appears to be some sort of actually paved walkway yes at least on the sides which means it somebody can he did not build the, the there are two very distinct paths lining the sides of it that he didn't which not build. Would, that he did not build uh, my guess, my guess would be, is that like we are meant to understand that this dump is debris from the war. Yeah, that has been piled up. That this is not a town dump in the sense that it's a dump where like people just throw their trash. I'm sure people do just throw their trash there at this point in the story because it's probably been there long enough. But it appears to be, well, we've bulldozed all the detritus of the war here. And and if you look at other movies set in this time period, they, the people aren't living in there in the mo- those movies generally, but you do see these sort of giant rubble piles, right? Where, like, collapsed buildings have just been shoved right. to various locations to be dealt with later. Um, so is that... Do you know if that would have been a common enough occurrence that that a small rundown community would just sort of be surrounded and engulfed by by this? Uh, I the think my understanding is that like eventually it probably like my understanding my understanding of post-war Japan is relatively limited, but um, like I think we are to understand that for example the old man's house was probably pre-war. Right, it was there, and. They just selected this area to push all the... This area was probably mostly destroyed, and they just shoved all the rubble there. Right. Because uh, it was a convenient location and basically surrounded his house. Right. And the water uh, and the water pump implies some sort of infrastructure had existed. So Right. And, and it being just essentially an exposed pipe sort yeah. of leans towards that. Almost nobody else's house has the appearance of not... Of being like a pre-war building. Right. I would guess they are all like recent constructions... In this area that no one claims or has real ownership over, right? It's a. It would be worth noting that probably this community wouldn't exist in ten more years. Wherever time this this exists, there are no places like that in Tokyo now, right? And there haven't been for a long time. Well, if which if, there's a that, if nothing else, this seems like the exact sort of place that. Uh, a track and field stadium would have built been built exactly. In, by I mean, there's, there's so exactly like I mean, there have been enough sort of like urban renewal projects post-war that like these places don't exist and haven't existed for a long time because land in right. Tokyo is or wherever I'm saying where Tokyo, it could be, it could be Osaka, it could be any one of many. Major city, like you do get the impression that it's on the outskirt of a major city because there would never be a rubble pile this large in like right, right, some rural town. Yeah, uh, from that would, uh, in your understanding of of post war urban renewal, uh, would the people who lived here be displaced, or would probably there, yeah yeah well displaced is is hard. I mean, like 
understanding that, like, I mean, be displaced by that urban renewal as opposed to brought uh, up with that urban renewal. Well, I mean, displaced they, in the sense that they, they seem would to not be displaced live in the, people already. Right, exactly. Right. It gets complicated because there are very large public housing projects in Japan. Yeah. And many of them were built post war. Um, it's likely that most of the people would have, they would have at least tried to move them into those public housing projects. Yeah. There is also a very large homeless population in Japan. So it's not to say that everybody is in those public housing projects for, for various reasons, but the public housing projects are meant to be public housing projects. They are meant to house people with very little to no income. Um, but there's also, like I said, there's also a very large homeless population, which means that that project is not entirely successful, even right. in, in the least. Right. Um, so my guess would be some of the people in this place would end up in those public housing projects, and some of the people in this place would end up homeless and, and more indigent in the sense that they wouldn't have a permanent place any longer. Right, right. And, um, you know, these are these are people who are working, you know, hand-to-mouth jobs you know we've got the day laborers who maybe if they weren't constantly drowning the horror of their own life in alcohol they might uh, well and that's a really fascinating one because like my experience has been that that doesn't seem to be a detriment to your ability to excel in life in japan that much right 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 no oh you're a raging alcoholic fine cool yep can can you stay sober uh, during the day when it's work hours fine yep good sign you up yeah, good. You're good especially to go. especially from the time period the other Japanese movies we've seen very very rarely point al- alcoholism as a problem, right? Right, it's- and so like, it, I would say that it is that is not sort of that maybe is what the movies trying to telegraph is the main yeah. problem, like keeping their lives from like for them from gaining any sort of success that they would like. Yeah, but it also. But, they also seem relatively happy with they their are, lives. They are the happiest people in the movie. <laughs> like, so it is, it, 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 you know, this is also quite possibly that they're, if they're perfectly happy here, they may actually make enough money to live in some other community yeah. or something, and they're and perfectly they're, happy with this lifestyle. Their wives seem fine with it. Yeah, I mean, they less. got a good thing. Everybody's so, got a good thing going on, basically. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> they're. Um, they're I I do love that this all the description of this movie that I've seen describe those two characters as wife swappers when in fact it's their wives being husband swappers in the right. actual plot. Well, of the you movie. know, my favorite part of my journey into this movie was hovering over wife swapping, which is a which is a keyword on uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, and then what you get is not a lot, but it's like wife swapping, husband swapping, or partner swapping. Is and I was like, yeah, why did you choose wife swapping? Because like partner swapping would have been perfect here right. because it would have been extremely non-committal to who's swapping who right right now i mean they seem to be enjoying like everybody seems to be on board with the plan here right 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 and right. like but it, it is very clearly the wives who are like <laughs> in charge of making it work because these two guys are like yeah. fucking useless by the time they come home <laughs> right right uh, like it's like you sleep here today yeah uh but uh yeah, I mean, who knows what? I mean, they're day, they're categorized as day laborers um, in both the Japanese and the English. That's very clearly what they are. So they are not making a lot of money. Yeah, what uh, um, what sort of day labor would be available to they, them at that time? My guess is they're construction workers. Yeah, 
would be my I mean, that's, guess. That's like the very, very low-level construction The workers. very common urban day yeah. worker. I mean, so, you know. my guess is that they are very, they are quote-unquote unskilled yeah. day laboring construction workers in the sense that they don't have a trade, a specific construction trade. Yeah. Um, so they are just there to do grunt work. Um, who knows? I mean, their lives are, I mean, any one of these characters could have really complex sort of personal and internal lives that we don't get the experience in its entirety. Right. Uh, theirs is just fascinating because like, you know, you do want, you know, it could be, I mean, I mean, to be honest, a very real possibility is that they or many of the people in this group are actually social outcasts. They're like, that is a thing that has existed in Japan for a very long time. Um, it, they, I w- it is very possible that they are uh, Burakumin, which are uh, is a kind of social, like an untouchable class in Japan. Okay. Um, it is. It is a very. That is a very complicated concept. Uh, and the time place that this movie takes place, that would be very much a concept that is still very much in reality, uh, with almost no efforts by the government or anybody else to eliminate the problem. Yeah. Um. They, and after the major restoration, things got more complicated because you can actually make a really cr- like wild uh, matrix to describe how people are or are not labeled as Burakamine because of like it is it was traditionally a social uh, a hereditary social class yeah of people who were by Buddhist standards untouchable. But after the major restoration, because of hyper mobility in like physical, like both both geographic and uh, social mobility, um, it got very that concept got very jumbled up because there, you know, some areas were maintained as being labeled Burakumin areas, and then also some family names were like listed as being but I mean family names and it it gets very the concept is very complex because it's not like it's not a separate ethnic group in any way that could be uh, that could that like you know what I mean it's very it's it's really complicated and like at various stages in history recent modern history it's been discovered that like fucking corporations were maintaining like persona non grata list of people who are labeled as Burakamine so that they wouldn't be hired. Like if you were from this zip code or you were, if you had this family name, corporations wouldn't hire you because you were supposedly from this social caste. Um, and when that was discovered, they were sued to fucking hell and back. And now it's Ill- like, for example, social reforms led to like, it's illegal to ask a Im- potential employee where they're, anywhere other than what prefecture they're from because they were forcing employees to write their zip code on their application documents and using that yeah. to weed out people that they believed was that were part of the social class and like and like families that traditionally were part of this class this social caste might or might not know that they were uh and so they some some groups do some families do maintain a sort of uh like a familial knowledge of that where they like it's you know like 
where it becomes a sort of empowering thing and then you see like uh protests there it's it's been a very long complicated history about this we could go on for a long time but they this may be a group of people who have all been labeled in that way or or by association have become in the sense that like oh you're living in the Rakhimian community so you are now so what do you think about you know I'm sort of just coming up with this on the fly I think do you think the uh, lack of positive response within Japan could be associated with uh, this being mo- more overtly understood to be about the Bogakadin? Um, it, I mean, it is possible. Um, I, I didn't see any... Min- I saw no mention of it being about Bogakadin anywhere on any of the documents about it. And the book certainly isn't. The book is meant to be very... Like, there are people around you suffering all over the place. And and that may just be the general gist of the movie, but, like, it's very easy to draw that line because what when you imagine a community that has no access to government resources of any sort gets, seems to have apparently no attention from the government in any capacity. The only right. people we meet from the government are government officials who come in and then immediately exit. Right. Like flight in the night sort of like they just like they show up they do their thing and they're fucking out as fast as they can be um kind of feels like that like and this is just a weird feeling that i have about it and it may not be accurate at all i bring that up because the two men who are day laborers feel the most like they could be have in some way been labeled in such a capacity because of like they are adult men who are clearly strong enough to do work and right. you're in a period where there are still giant ass rubble piles all over the place right there's, they should have steady employment there's cleanup to but do. they are day laborers yeah yes which and they are but they are very clearly day laborers which very much implies in my mind that they can't get full employment that nobody's hiring them on a long-term basis now there could be other reasons but if you, I don't know. It's just the fact that my guess for me, the thing is that makes it so seem so likely, not super likely, but it, that gets it in my head is the fact that it's an entire community, it's an entire community that seems completely isolated from the outside world. Like when those children are harassing Rokutan, they are not harassing him, like in town. They are harassing him from across a bridge. Right. That separates a body of water that separates them from him there's a very clear implication that they're on their way to school and they live in town maybe on the edge of town maybe they are there they may only be the slightest edge of a social class above the people in this community but they are still outside of that community right um well we will never know the answer to this i'm just saying that like boy it sure seems weird that there's an entire community that yeah. seems to be almost being ignored as though it doesn't even exist. It seems it seems there has been suggestion in commentary on the film. Okay. Uh, in French and English. That at least that well, is I didn't true. read any French or English commentary. I only read <laughs> yeah. the Japanese pages. Um uh, so Which is yeah, interesting. Um But again, you know, that's you know, the 
whether or not uh, Karuchan is autistic is commentary outside of the film, right? Or Rokujan. This is also true. I mean, like, I mean, the movie does definitely right. very much want yeah. the audience so to understand. Yeah, but it's it's that incredibly heavy. You know, it's not even subtext. Yes. It's just unnamed text. Uh, it's yeah, text without exactly. a label. Uh, right. But as long as you don't label it, it still could be something else, right? <laughs> I guess. So, so it's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, no. Thinking about the the Baraka mean issue with this is very is very interesting because it's it's the sort of thing where you know the old man could still be just some guy but uh, yeah but he could all i mean like he may also be it's very complicated because he is also self-employed right and there is that there is always that sort of implication that like even if he regardless of what his his status is like he lives here and he doesn't have to deal directly face to face with outside society very much right um interesting it, it could be all kind i mean there could be a million different things it, i mean and that in that situation like i mean it goes really deep because like what place would the government choose to dump all of its shit after the war boy it sure seems like the that the Right. The community of people who are considered outcasts, especially if you basically ignore, would be a great place to do that. If you've got to dump all of that war rubble in a place, you know, in already one of the most densely populated areas in the world, right? And yeah, it's like, well, boy, well, there was this community here. It got mostly destroyed. We'll just bulldoze it yeah, over, just, basically. Just push all the garbage toward and that. Like a lot of people, right? Like if your community got bulldozed. And you had nowhere else to go. Here's a real likely chance you'd be like, "Well, I guess we'll just build our community right. again on top of the rubble pile yeah. that you made." Yeah, just keep um, living where you were living, especially if your if your you know income is tied to uh, indigent labor. That's you know, you've got to right. <laughs> it maybe won't be too hard to do it somewhere else or find a new place to sell your paper flowers. But also, if you've already got a place, it's going to be a lot easier to stick close right, to it yeah. than go somewhere else. Yeah. No, that's all very that's all very interesting, um, and very interesting that the movie doesn't make that necessarily more overt. But I wonder if it needed to be overt in 1970. Well, I think if they had made, if, honestly, if he had made it overt, if that is the case for the movie, if he had made it overt, the movie basically probably couldn't even get gotten made. Oh, that's even more. It's important to understand. In 1970, the the sort of concept of this group being like socially outcast was still very, very strong. Right. Right. So, Uh, like, extremely strong. I'm trying to find the incident. There's been several. There's been so many incidents, but like those incidents of like companies like having like blacklists. Yeah. We're in like the 70s and 80s and 90s. You know the. The fallout of this movie is even is even more interesting there because it means that, you know, our our four horsemen who are wanting to make big important movies that prove that movies are worthwhile more than television make this big important. Hey, you guys socially are real messed up, 
movie. Right. And then have to mortgage their house to get it made. <laughs> right. 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 Wow. We're the four most famous, <laughs> some of the four most famous directors in Japan. Uh, I guess here's my house. Right. Uh, right. You would not expect them to need to do that much to get a movie made, especially when it's apparently going to be made on a shoestring budget anyway. Right. Right. So the I, the idea that the council failed is itself a, is maybe an extension of the the blacklisting. It's definitely of, possible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's very interesting. It, it is important to understand that this is like one of those like we don't talk about it sort of topics. Right. Like, right. It has become more of the fun because there's there are blockmen like rights association centers and liberation organization there's literally a, like a Baraku liberation league uh like who fight for yeah. the rights of uh members of that community in in japan and have and have had success like a lot of success in in right. making things better but like i mean we're talking like 1990s court cases right 1988 court cases 2004 court cases we're talking about like it's not like in 1970 or whatever like that's right now it's just one of those things that people still wanted to sweep under the rug right. really hard like we're going to pretend like this thing like that this concept doesn't even exist because it was legally abolished in fucking ni- in 1880 <laughs> like fucking 5 or some shit yeah but then it's just going to quietly chug along in the background for a f- 100 years and everybody's going to pretend like, well, we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And well, then they, you know, some rights organizations like get a hold of the lists and stuff, buy the list from some insider yeah. or whatever. And of course, you know, there are there are people within this community who maybe have other reasons for being social detritus. You know, obviously uh, right, right. a single mother with a mentally disabled uh, son uh, and no no safety net is going to end up in a position like this. Uh, right, right. The right. Uh, the guy who's got some sort of PTSD to the point that he's he can't talk and just wanders around picking up rags as his only source of income. Right. Uh, you know, it, this movie may well, be that, out of time, right. but that's, that's definitely... Post-war. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people lot who of, are still yeah. very clearly victims of the war. I mean, the right. the one guy who wants to commit suicide is the most like right. straightforward, where he right. just explains what happened. Right. But like, you kind of well, that's where it gets complicated, right? Because like, if this was a some sort of Bradakamine uh, community, well, where can you go when you when you're so down and out that like there is no place for you in society anymore? Then, like a community that doesn't doesn't restrict in that way, that right. you don't need money to live in, that you don't need, you know what I mean? Right. Like you're not going to have to pay rent or anything like that, becomes very appealing, right? And then you know the sort of flip side of that is is that becomes sort of, for lack of a better English terminology, sort of guilt by association, right? Now, now you live in that community, you are like right. You, it's a very complicated concept, but like, I mean, yeah. and, and your, your, your zip code is that now. And now because your zip code is that since, since you, you already are. said they weren't an ethnic minority or, or an ethnic group 
at any point, it seems like that's probably how they came to exist to begin with, right? Well, I mean, the way they came to exist was um, various Buddhist-related laws in, I believe, I want to say the Edo era. Okay. Uh, where they hard like they got hard like way harder core about hereditary employment. I see. And the idea that you stay in your fucking lane. You're a farmer. Okay. Your dad was a farmer. You're a farmer. Grandpa forever. was a farmer. You're a farmer. And if you were in one of those hereditarily unclean professions, um, um, butchers, tanners, uh, people who uh, any way associated with death, like okay. maybe you, maybe you're like somebody in your fan, you somewhere along your lines, your family, um, maybe were like morticians or something to that effect. It's important to understand a very key functionary part, like very key functionary parts of society rendered as untouchable. Yeah, interesting. Uh, because of religious uh, sort of connotations of being associated with death. Uh, and then when you, when you, when the major restoration comes around, it, it demolishes those laws that actually restrict people to those forms of employment. Um, and so they, and things get even more complicated because now somebody could just move to another place. Right. And and even like probably not change their name, but your name isn't necessarily associated with your job that that way. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I guess that that older man is is pretty explicit. You know, <laughs> not even no no caveats there. He explicitly says, "My sons all died in the war," uh, right. and and it's made me it's made me very sad. Um, ruined his career, which led to his wife dying. Which you know, right? That's how he ended up where he is but but hi the um the mute guy uh i think it's implied that his his wife cheated on him and that sent him over the edge but uh i think that's sort of vaguely implicate yeah but it almost seems deeper than that because the way she talks to him she at one point she's like oh you know i didn't love him more than i love you right right i feel like it's got to be more than that though yeah i I, I think it's got to be i it's what the reason I say that is because it, it I don't know it's the whole way that that those scenes are rendered it feels so much more than like adultery right you know what I mean like I mean he's fundamentally like non communicative it would like, seem like he's there not would even have like, to be something else going on to get him to that point but right but also we is, don't know what it is but and is are any of our creators thinking about you know, maybe they knew a guy who this happened to, but they well, never my, they I never mean, thought about what what was behind it that led to it either, right? You know, right. So as I far mean, as as far as the writers are concerned, maybe guy who goes mute after his wife cheats on him is a is a real world thing. Is a class of <laughs> right? Yeah, as a, right. a type of person, it's possible. But you know, maybe you know if you do combine the war with right, right, right that or something else like who? There's so much. Because it, this movie very clearly does still take place at that inflection point at right. the end of the war, where like basically everybody has something horrible happen to me, right, and, and my I, family. You know, um, Shima's an interesting character there too, in that he's you know he's got the he's got some sort of palsy, some sort of tick thing, um, right. But he's still, you know, a properly dressed like office worker who's 
coworkers are not they come to his house you know they're not exactly mm-hmm. they're not exactly great people while they're there but they come to his house um so he's not he's not quite the social outcast that everyone else is i suppose but right i mean that's true and and that might be one of the only things in the movie that points to the opposite maybe being true uh what we were talking about is that like he has a job at a company right and his coworkers accompany him here um but we also don't know exactly like this town this quote unquote town we don't really know its sort of geographic shape that right. well i mean he definitely walks through town to get there through like their ta- sort of their town center right. but um so yeah i mean it can be a little bit hard to say i yeah. mean and she shops that, that, she shops yeah. it, but she also talks about you know she knows what they sell in town or, right right i mean which also i mean there's definitely an implication that well so that that's where it gets really complicated right because they still live there but he can afford an actual suit right which it makes for a very um a very fascinating dynamic right like so his job must pay pretty well but not well enough for them to move out of here so does that mean there's something else keeping them here? Is it just community? Because she doesn't seem particularly happy with the community. So right. Well, she doesn't so, seem particularly happy with anything. Happy so, about anything? Right. Yeah, that's also true. But like, yeah, no, I, I'm just saying, like, it gets so complicated because, um, you know, you don't know. Yeah, I mean, everything's left very vague for a reason, which right. is that you're not really supposed you don't not really supposed to have to think about why the town exists you're supposed to think about how the position and the conditions of the people in it right 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 um, right and yeah you know that's what the movie's concerned about um and you know the movie it is pretty upfront that you know most of these people's problems are economic more than anything else well right, right yeah i mean one way or the other like <laughs> society has fucked these people right like hard like no one is like by and large the movie does not try to convict any of its 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 um characters in a way where it implies that they are the reason why they like they personally and failures in their existence are the reasons why they're here right Uh, maybe the closest are the two day laborers in the sense that there is this sort of like semi sort of chaste attitude that they're they're drinking but then again that could be us because again boy like i mean people drink the actual closest is kasuchko's uncle right because he's literally just a bad man who well okay but that's different because it's not really about him it's about her and her aunt who this is not their fault right 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 like it very explicitly is not their fault like you know what i mean like they are not the re he is the reason they are in this situation uh, in many ways, but he's not the main character. Right, right. And he's not the target of the story. And of course, you know, we could again take the step back to why is he an alcoholic? Why, why does I he, mean, yeah, he's not just yeah. lazy, right? I don't. No, think, no, I don't no, think no. I mean, Kurosawa would ever, ever argue that he's la- argue just that, lazy. Yeah. I mean, it could have something to do with the fact that he is a pedophile. Right. Um, that might have something to do with it. I mean, like, there's, there's a lot of character put into that character. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah. They they make sure you understand he is a bad man. Like right. in a way that no other character is painted in the entire story. Right. Even the even um oh, what's his name? What's the character's name? The the man who has the uh has some form of Tourette's or something like that. Oh, uh, Shima. With yeah, the, Shima, the properly dressed. Shima's, yeah, Shima's wife is even like redeemed by Shima. Like in right. in the sense that like we are we are very explicitly told by the movie, hey, fuck off. Yeah. She's a good person <laughs> in her heart, right? right like right, right. I mean, she's an ass to every single person in the movie. But um, you know, he very I mean, Shima like is very right. direct about it. But so, she's she's an ass in a angry at the world antisocial sort of way. Right. Like even right. her interactions with the with the shopkeeper. So, like, you know, that's that's something where I can very easily point at the economic conditions she lives under right, absolutely. are causing yeah, yeah, her yeah. Uh, psychological uh, <clears throat> trauma that makes her act like this. Right? right, right. She's very clearly sick of this shit, like yeah. down to her core, right? Well, that's what I'm saying is that like, nobody else, the uncle is the only bad guy, bad guy right, in the entire movie. And and while maybe, you know, we could certainly in a real world scenario where these are real human beings, we could definitely plumb the depths of what of how the uncle ended up being the kind of person that he is. Uh, But clearly the movie does not want us to do that. (laughs) The uncle is given no character traits beyond the things that make him evil. And I think that is to make it I think maybe to a certain extent that's to help us draw contrast to all the other people in the story to help paint a very stark line to tell us that these are not bad people. Yeah. While I don't know that I would say that Japan has the same level, uh, quite quite the American level of sort of like the politics that leads you to believe that anybody who is not prosperous is because of their own personal failings because we didn't necessarily go through modern American Protestantism. But there is still a very much a bootstraps mentality, especially in more modern Japan of like, Oh, we live in an egalitarian society. So if you failed, it's because you weren't good enough. The, 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 the myth of Japanese egalitarianism as it regards like education and, and, uh, and, and employment is a really fascinating topic where like any single person you talk to, if you even take five minutes to sort of dissect it with them, We'll, we'll immediately agree, like, oh yeah, no, this system isn't fair. Right. <laughs> but then it's it's still a sort of national a national mythology that still allows sort of society as a whole to be like, well, they failed because they just weren't as smart as everybody else or whatever. Um, but I'm just saying it doesn't hit American levels of being like, oh, your children died in the street. It must be because you are a bad person. Like you know it. America's a very special place for that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like has hit, especially in modern times has hit like extra special levels of that attitude that is maybe unseen in the world before and, and maybe will be since. Uh um but my point is is that like just to be on the safe side, I think to a certain extent, Kurosawa is like, I'm going to make this very, very clear. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, the second, the next close, even like somebody like the dad whose child, whose child dies of food poisoning, we are supposed to feel as a fundamental feeling for him, sadness and pity, right? Right. That like, and like the, even the older man who's our sort of sage paints it for us and says like, oh no, he's, 
he's not proud he's weak he can't to mean he can't even he can't bring himself to come to terms with what's going on well the the beggar and the son is interesting because i think i think throughout we are meant to see that as this kid has had to grow up too fast because his father can't take care of himself right right you know so it's the, the kid who's going around to the various restaurants to get leftovers to find them food Right. And that also may be because a kid is more likely to actually get stuff. And that's as well, that that yeah. is fair, right? Um, because the uh, the cook at the one restaurant certainly takes pity on him and gives him what they can, while the the waitress just uh, the waitress is actually the, the worst person in the entire movie. Absolutely, right? yeah. I mean that is true. She's, she's outside, not really a proper character right. in the movie, but she's, she's outside she's the community. Awful. She's outside the community. Uh, looks down on the community. And actively treats this child, this starving child. She dumps With utter contempt. Yeah, yeah. Like dumps as, as dumps garbage. cigarette ash onto onto the food he was going to take, the garbage yeah. food he was going to take. Yeah. So. Well, I wonder if I wonder if there's any countries where that's how things work. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine. I'm, I'm a, just playing. I'm just playing around. I'm just playing around because, like, on a nearly daily basis, I read some article talking about what happens to American food when it doesn't get eaten during the day. Yeah. You uh, know, there was a deeply, deeply upsetting, like, on just a next level upsetting. There's a story it's, out of well, Portland a couple months ago now where uh, where a uh, entire neighborhood lost power and the corporate-owned grocery store dumpstered all of its frozen food and then called the police to protect the dumpster from people pulling out meat that is going to waste. Like, I mean, I don't want to promote and it was, violence. And I say I say uh, a couple months ago, but it was actually, I believe it was in December or right, January. So, so it was okay. like, it was, it was cold out. Like, literally right. all they had to do to save the meat from going was put was it in a box outside. outside. <laughs> right. But they put it in a dumpster outside, so it obviously wasn't coming back. And then, and then the police showed up to protect it. For well, I mean, I, I'm hours. with them up until I'm with them up to the point where they're like, "Well, well we're not going to put it outside to stay cold because, like, we can't legally certify that it stayed the right, right temperature." Right, right, right. Fine, it's trash now. You know what trash means? It belongs to nobody. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Just yeah. let people take it. Yeah, and and early. Early, Certainly don't call the fucking cops. Right. Early with lockdown here in the U.S., there were a lot of news stories about, you know, due to lack of workers, uh, food rotting in the field or, you know, because of the, the uh, corporate nature of American agriculture, you know, 20,000 oh, yeah, like tons of potatoes yeah. <laughs> sitting and rotting in a pile, milk getting dumped down drains. Yeah. While while there were lines, you know, miles, tens of miles long, waiting to get into yeah, into food, food banks yeah. and food assistance yeah. all around the country. Yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, it it happens here. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it happens here as well. I'm not I'm not going to imply that it doesn't happen here. Right. It's just America has become sort of the ideological epitome of all these things in the modern world, right? Like doing all these things to eleven. In a way that you just don't read about anywhere else, um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just that's really what yeah. it comes down to is that like, if, if you like, 
if you were going to ask, like, if you were going to try to, like, make the de- de- the dictionary definition of, like, this kind of this problem, you would just, there would just be a picture of what, like, you would see on, you see on American <laughs> right. News, right? Like, right. it's just. Right, like, right, 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 right. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, no, the, the idea of a uh, non-ethnic group, uh, perpetual underclass, uh, that gets uh, uh, gets uh, blackballed for uh, jobs based on their zip code. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, a- I mean, and it's actually way more complicated than that because <laughs> right. it can also be like their where you know it's not just their zip code; it's the zip code their parents lived right. at, and it's like no, that is, and it's like a name because their name, like somebody, like some family tree name, is on that list, yeah. and like. You combine it with the fact that for a very long time, and maybe even still now, like corporations with enough money can get access to family registrar or registration papers, which detail like the family lineage back for quite a long time, That's for insane. as long as it's been registered. I mean, you know, so just, if you if they grease in the right palms, they can get a list of well, did any family live in this place a hundred and fifty years ago? That is kind of thing too. It's yeah. I just say yes. you know within within American capitalism, that is how we treat poor people but it is you know within america you get the extra the extra race element uh that right. uh, <laughs> that overlaps and is also its own thing um so yeah it's just you know it happens it happens all the I time mean, it's all bad like it's every every and the idea that it is, is bad. it is their fault and therefore they should not have any help uh is even worse uh, yeah, yeah, especially especially when we're talking about uh, government help during a global pandemic. Uh, right, right, right. Oh uh, man, yeah. Now I'm. Hey, I mean, I got more checks from the United States government than I got from Japan. That's all I will say about that. Though. <laughs> That's okay. That's fair. Uh, my state I got government one whopping check back in May from the Japanese government. Thanks, Japanese government. For as much tragedy as happens in this movie. There is, of course, a lot of hope in this movie as well. Yeah, the kid dies. Yes, and that's very bad. the I, uh, The old I, man does what yeah. he can. The silversmith does what he can to to make the world a better place. Uh, and there are other people working toward happiness, uh, even from where they're at. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, the movie explicitly it, it gets complicated whenever you sort of talk about happiness right 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 because right, right. like it is, there are people who are happy in this movie there is there is very little in this movie that is ending in justice but at least it is ending in right. some amount of happiness but then you get into this where you can get very sort of existential very quickly about like are any of these people truly truly happy, happy. Because there's not a single soul among them who is not also deeply suffering. Yeah. And then you get into that question of, like, can you be happy and also be suffering at the same time? Yeah, probably. This movie is a quagmire in the sense that, (laughs) yeah, I mean, yeah, we think, yeah, probably. But, like, we've all been in that position also, though, where you're like, at this very moment, I am having a good time. But my life is hell. And if I stop and think about it for even two seconds, it will crush anything else that's going on right um and so with that in mind you do also wonder like 
how much of it is a veneer of happiness on top of a, just an, a deep, deep sense of pain and, and right. sadness and dread. Um, and is that happiness that's layered on top real or is it a thing you do to yourself to make it so that you don't just die? Yeah. Um, I mean, not to say that, you know, I'm not trying to make a call on that because I don't know the answer to those questions. Right. Can I answer whether, I mean, can I answer whether any of these characters are happy or not? I mean, they certainly do smile um, at times. I think I think the wives of the drunk guys are living their best lives possible within the situation <laughs> they are in. Well, within the, but right, right, right. Yeah, and that's true. There's multiple people who are living their best life. I mean, like and, Shima and, seems like a happy man. Right. Like, but like my point is, is that like, while while Ryu, you know what I mean. Ryu, the brush maker, has has chosen to be happy in his situation. Uh, his right. wife is maybe living her, her most happy life too. Yeah, she's um, definitely also living her happy life. And also, like, love he, the I mean, love the joke. I will that, say that like he does, he is too. I mean, like right. his smile, like of many of the smiles, is not. I mean, yeah. obviously it's a movie, so it's he's not forced, but it is not a fake smile. The, he loves those. The children, talk he gives to those period. kids is is genuine, right? I mean, it made me cry a little bit. So yeah, yeah. it's very good. Um, um, <laughs> that made me cry. Basically, anytime the silversmith talked to anybody, I, well, I yeah, cried. I mean, the silversmith is like <laughs> is basically a character yeah. written as like the crying yeah. man, the man is, who will make you cry. There is a quote from Kurosawa that said this movie had to be in color because if it wasn't, it would be too depressing. <laughs> Which is, I can buy that actually. Yeah. I mean, there is a certain sort of offset of the situations with like extremely vibrant colors, right? Including with like character clothing choices and stuff too, right? Like, yeah. There are choices made in this movie to make sure that, like, like the drunk guys' wives, we're gonna are... make tu- we're gonna make tu- Technicolor earn its fucking keep around right, here, right, right, or whatever fucking technology they use. I don't know. What yeah, the uh, the wives of the drunk guys are, you know, like even their houses are like color coded. Yeah, right? their their houses yeah. are amazing. Their yeah. houses are so very bright. Good. They're very good, and you know the. We get it a little bit at the beginning, but but our last images of the movie of uh, panning across all of Roku-chan's uh, drawings of his trolley are are an end of it ends on you know at least his his hope, which is a delusion, I suppose. But right, well, I mean, but it's not like, but yeah, that's it's. <laughs> That's not even hope. That's something else, right? right. That is his world. Like he right, lives right, right. here. Like, um, and and that since in many ways, his is one of the more beautiful stories <laughs> in the in the fact that like, there is no other world to intrude on his world. Right. Like, uh, and and that is kind of nice in and of itself. Uh, there's, uh, you know, but um, I would say that uh. I think that what gets what I in the beginning we talked about like whether or not like what movies it reminds me of and how it reminds me more of Ikiru than um, than High and Low, in the sense that like Ikiru is in many ways also about finding that meaning and happiness in fairly dire circumstances. Right. Right. Like, and like it it does feel. I mean, they're they're very uh, in every other aspect. They're very tonally different movies, except for 
they both have that like, well, here's this solid nonstop undercurrent of sadness, but also here's a happy person. And those are the same people uh, kind of idea. I mean, they're for different reasons and different and, and, you know, very different sort of stories. But, you know, this sort of idea that maybe Kurosawa at some point has became sort of like needed to tell to a certain extent, tell himself stories about people who are both sad and happy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There's that aspect of it, too. You know, there are a lot of a lot of moments of humor in this movie. Even some little subtle, uh, subtle humor, like Ryu's wife being named Chastity. Uh, yes, that, yeah. Well, the funny thing about it, yeah, that's a whole other thing because she doesn't have a. Yeah, I don't like. I was I was double checking on that because like this is a really weird tidbit. Uh, and then like I was like, oh right, but like she doesn't have a kanji, so like that's um hard to n- hard like, to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean it. That I mean that is what that word means. Like there is a there is a word that is that that means fidelity and chastity and stuff like that. And so there's definitely an implication there for sure. But I was like, oh, it's not the the kanji for that. It's right. just like you know, it's just like I guess it would be like naming a person chastity in real life, like in English, and then like. But no, it's not the same because the word, I don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is, I went and looked and I was like, oh, it's not. Not exactly that. It's like 80% that, 90% that instead. Regardless, there's <laughs> there's good humor. It is definitely, it's definitely meant to be a joke, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's definitely an on purpose joke. Yeah. Uh, man. It was, it is, yeah. It's a fascinating film. I'm, from the context you provided, I am not surprised that Japanese audiences and critics. <laughs> In 1970, did not uh, well, yeah, did not super connect with it. I would also like to just add on to that really quickly that even if it is not directly a commentary on the Brachamine, like sort of issues associated with the Brachamine or something like that, um, it is it is at the very least a topic that at various times in Japanese history are extremely taboo in that like sort of trying to talk about Japan not being fully egalitarian is sometimes a very taboo subject even if you don't take into account like uh, like historically social outcast groups Uh, a movie like a movie like this made in America would be labeled as cynical right Uh, right and and, yeah and and you know in a certain regard that would make it realistic and it would get it would get some amount of positive press and i think of of something like the florida project or the works of harmony corinne or george washington right 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 yeah that's Um, true true it would also still be disregarded on a mass market scale for right for those reasons right and and, right and the, the point i was just making is that like even without that sort of possible connection there like i mean this sort of story could be doomed to failure as a sort of economic right. exercise. Um, I would like to point out also that the movie apparently won the uh, like special award at the Soviet filmmakers. Uh, yes, yes, that actually or whatever as well. I that, thought it was quite nice as well. That maybe brings us back around. The uh, uh, Kurosawa did not make another movie for five years after this, and uh, and the movie he ended up making was for Moss Film. Uh, the Soviets invited him to Russia to make a movie called Dersu Azala, 
which is about like a frontiersman in uh, northeastern Russia, uh, which was apparently shot on location and was itself a very fraught ordeal because it was... uh, uh, shot on location. <laughs> shot on location in, in northeastern Russia. Yeah, it's right. far Seems from like a everything. Really rough place to do that. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, and and shot during winter and like, yeah, just a bad idea. But but it was his next movie uh, five years after this. So yeah, and then you know he got back into the swing of things, so to speak, and made some really great movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I don't. I have never seen a Kurosawa film that I did not like. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely this keeps cementing for me that like the best Kurosawa films are the ones that are about like modern day. Right, 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 right. Like it does just become my my go to mental place. Like famous for making really good samurai movies, and they are very very good. I mean, no, I will not disagree that Rashomon is an amazing movie <laughs> or something right. like that. But boy, his. His like modern day stuff hits so hard, right? Like, you know, he comes out swinging in a way that like he just can't do with samurai films because you can't like commentary, sort of uh, social commentary steeped in historical scenarios just gets lost a little bit. Whereas, yeah. as soon as you put people in like modern right. clothes and like have modern jobs, boy, that hits hard, right? And that's that's a thing about. Uh, you know, like the lower depths compared to this lower depth. It's early 20th century set, if I remember correctly, but it's still, it's still, uh, you can frame this stuff as a problem of that time period instead of commentary on problems we are still experiencing today. Right. Right. And I think it's, it's easier to dismiss, you know, there is something to be said for metaphor and, uh, you know, satire and that sort of thing. But, Ultimately, as well, uh, your audience is uh, a good chunk of your audience is going to miss all that and just say, well, this is this is about a historical time period and it doesn't it doesn't affect us. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, this is a problem of the Edo era. This this this. Right. Right. This shanty town. Not not about now. I, I, yeah, I, I had forgotten a little bit about the lower. I've, I used lower depths in, in class sometimes, and I had forgotten about it as like a good comparison point for this. You know, in some ways, story wise, right? They have a, a great yeah. great deal in common, right? But they do, right? I mean, the lower depths is also about a group of people living at the bottom of the land. Yeah, I mean, too, I, right? I would say so. that like in terms of like helping you sympathize with the characters, this does a better job than the lower depths, just because. Yeah. You know, the lower depths is a different kind of story. I mean, it still does, but it, it's just a different right. kind of story. Yeah. Um, well, the original lower depths play was about nineteenth century Russian Russia. Play, yeah, right. and he does he transposes it to the Edo era, which I guess gives it a, a wider time frame than early twentieth century, which is what I remembered it as. But um, I, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, if it's the Edo era, it would be it would be. Right. It would be, pro- it is probably taking place in in mid nineteenth uh, century Japan. Right. Probably, I just say that just because my my feeling about it is that like we're in the part of the Edo era where shit's starting to come apart at the seams. But that was just right. my feeling about it. Um, I, we don't know that because it doesn't have that like specific time. Like it's it's not like yeah. in the year eighteen fifty four. Or anything at the beginning of that movie, but I don't know. It just feels like it feels 
the characters are very still feel very modern, so it feels like we're right on the edge of I don't know. It could be. It could have been yeah. any time though, because it's a fucking two hundred year window. It's, it could have been. It could have been mid seventh. It could have been mid eighteenth uh, century for all we know. Actually, in the movie, but. yeah, it's maybe interesting too that this movie is made without Kurosawa's normal cadre of actors. Not, you know, obviously that there were there were outside reasons for that having happened, but making this movie with lesser known people. Um, right. I mean, and like I was looking at their Wikipedia page because like their their English Wikipedia pages are laughably incomplete. Right. Like half or, of them don't have if any they page exist. At all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Most yeah. of them don't even exist. But, you know, every single one of them has a Japanese Wikipedia page and most of them are quite robust uh, because they are Japanese actors, which means they've been in eight million right, movies. Right. I'm not um, I'm not trying well, to no, suggest the that I'm they were unknown necessarily, that, but right. But what I what I the reason I bring that up is more because what I think is fascinating is that like honestly, I love Mifune. Okay, yeah, great actor. But like we didn't necessarily. I mean, he I can picture roles that he would be okay in in here, but he would basically devour the movie, right? In a lot of ways, and Mifune, like, di- Mifune can disappear in his roles very much. But I I'm hard pressed to imagine who Mifune would play in this movie that it wouldn't be a distraction. So right, and then and that could be us to a certain extent. But I think even the audience of the day, like, boy, howdy, if he's in a movie, who are we gonna focus on? We're gonna focus on him. Um, and right. that's, and that's the you know that's the curse of being really good and really <laughs> right, famous, right? Right, 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 right. right. Uh, Which is, is. he has to be the lead actor, and this movie doesn't have a lead actor; it has lead actors right. and actresses. It's very much an ensemble. Board. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like it all works out quite well, and everybody in this act is very good. Like every nobody. There's nobody dropping the ball in this movie in terms of like their their performance. Really, I guess I could maybe see. I can maybe see Mifune as uh, hi the 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 mute guy the mute guy who's in like uh, a yeah no state. yeah Mifune <laughs> playing it very serious could do that yeah. fine yeah and that would be not that would not eat the the rest of the movie right, necessarily right, right, right. Um, I would say that his natural fit in my mind would be one of the day laborers but then he would most indefinitely like definitely end up eating the scene like the right entire right he'd take over the movie <laughs> right yeah I mean, inevitably you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. so anyway. But yeah. Um very interesting movie. Very happy to have watched it. Dodeskaden, uh after the onomatopoeia of uh the non existent onomatopoeia that was made up exclusively for this movie. Well, not made not up the for the movie. For, made up for the book. Well, I mean sorry, made up for the book. Sorry, that's what I meant yeah. to say. But it is made what up said. for the book. Yeah. Of it a of a trolley say. car going over seams in the pavement. Uh but yeah. Uh next week. Uh, what a treat. This is, uh, man, I don't even know what to do with this. Uh, next week will be the most, the most overtly sexual film we have encountered in the Criterion Collection so far in the realm of the senses, the 1976, uh, Japanese film that features unsimulated sex, which I think might be a first for our, it won't be our last in the Criterion Collection, I suppose. Well, uh, that'll be next week. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, Leon Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you then.
This has been Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host, Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamGlass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.